Welcome to Sustain. This is the podcast where we talk about how to sustain open source software going forward in the new millennium. How do we make sure that people who code can continue coding? This is very similar to our previous podcast, Sustain Our Software, SOS. Before I begin, I just want to say that we're really grateful to what DevChat had enabled us to do using their platform. Unfortunately, some of the people at DevChat didn't come out in the right way that we saw on Twitter to help minorities and those underprivileged in tech. And we decided that we couldn't be on that platform anymore. So we're now moving Sustain to a new podcast called Sustain, as I said a few times now. It's basically the same thing. It's just no longer hosted by DevChat. If you want to have more discussion of that, feel free to get in touch with any of us and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. But the long and short of it is we're trying to make sustaining open source software a safe space for everyone and everyone. And so we're just living as ethically as we can at the moment. And I think you all know where I'm coming from and what this is like, having seen things on the internet before. But again, if you have any questions, please get in touch. For now, this is Sustain. We have four panelists on the show today. We have the illustrious me. Hi, Richard Litauer. Then we have Eric Berry. Hey, y'all. The wonderful. And then we have the hatted Justin Dorfman. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. Never seen him without a hat. And then Pia Mancini. Hi, folks. Excellent. On the show today, we have Lorenzo. Lorenzo, I forgot to ask, how do you pronounce your last name? It's like super complicated. Like I, I gave up on trying to get anyone who's not Italian to pronounce it. Don't worry. It's Chandra. <laughs> Most people know me as Kelset on you know, Twitter and GitHub. I'm really glad I'm here today with you, even if I'm, I'm a bit under the weather. So if I sleep, that's why. We're really glad to have you here as well. I'm also a bit under the weather. I have a massive toothache. If you see me wincing in pain, now you know why. Where are you calling from? I live in London currently. I'm working for Formidable. We'll talk a bit more about the company later, but I'm Italian of origin and I moved to London three years ago. And hopefully I'll not move away from it anytime soon. Yeah, yesterday was interesting. Another day of not Brexit. We'll see how that plays out. I believe you came to the Sustain Conference last year in London. What were you doing there? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually my first ever like unconference and I, I was blown away. I went there as like a maintainer because I was really interested in the idea that, you know, usually when you're an open source maintainer like myself, you end up feeling that you're, you know, working on this project alone or like even in the context of React Native, which is the project I helped maintain for the past two years, even if there are a lot of people involved, you kind of feel that you're like in these silos. And this sustained conference was really an eye-opener for me in terms of other people trying to solve the same issues, other people coming up with solutions, and being able to interact with potentially other actors interested in you know, how open source is part of the global industry in general. So yeah, it was a great experience, to be honest. Awesome. Are you still working on React Native? Uh, yes and no. Well, so basically, I don't work for Facebook, as I mentioned previously. I've been a maintainer basically after my first burnout. You know, like if you're in open source, <laughs> that's kind of one of the things that hopefully will never happen to you, but can happen. And basically, I was helping with a navigation library for React Native, and that got me into like the broader open source community around the React Native because to this day, like my main role at the company is like an, a React Native developer. I'm a software engineer uh, focused on mobile. 
And after that, sort of like the guys from Facebook were like, hey, how about you, you know, help out? Because, I mean, I was active in the issues anyway. And from there, kind of sort of grew. I started helping with the releases, so like bigger tasks. And this year, I was trying to help with the React Native community, which is basically everything that is not in the main repository, but like sort of kind of official, has this GitHub organization. And, well, let's say... I got close again to a burnout, so I'm kind of scaling it down, and currently I'm focusing on another project, which is, well, it's technically open source, but it's not software, which is like a meetup here in London for open source maintainers, which is also actually inspired by Sustain, and I told with Justin about it like a few weeks ago, because it's, I find really interesting and important to have the possibility for maintainers to meet and talk with each other outside from, you know, your silos. How did that first meeting go? That was one of my questions I was going to ask you. It went well. I mean, I was super stressed out. Like, uh, we're going to do more, like, once per quarter, probably. But the kind of stress that an event brings to me is it's impossible. But it went well. Like, in terms of turnout, we got, like, 70%, which is still, I think it was 20-ish people. But it was really, like, encouraging to see that, you know, people that I don't know showed up. 70% is really good because any meetup I've ever thrown, it's always 50% or lower. So you should be proud of that. What's the meetup called? The meetup is called Provided As Is. And the reason why I was saying, (laughs) you know, like, it was such a, like, when my colleague came out with the title, I was like, yes, this is perfect. Because for some reason, like whenever, you know, you do open source, like you have the license file, but you never read it. So you never realize that one of the first lines is like, this software is provided as is. So like, that's one of the things that when I was at Sustain, uh, talking with Mike McQuaid, uh, which is like one of the best open source people I've ever known, he like opened my eyes on this concept of like, you don't need to feel compelled or like you don't need to stress out in helping other people because your license says that it's provided as is. But yeah, to go back, it's open source in the sense that we have an open source repo for it so that like we're doing it in London, but like, for example, if you want to you know do it in New York or somewhere else, you can just come to the repo, create your fork for your city and it's like part of the experiment, basically. We haven't got any other cities yet, but it would be interesting to see what happens. You know, it just hit me. The name of your meetup has a lot to do with your famous, I thought I understood open source, I was wrong on Hacker Noon, which those who haven't read it, it's brilliant. It's got like 8,000 claps because it's still on Medium. But I think what's interesting is, provided as is kind of goes with the quote, hey, look, I did this. If you want to use it too, here's how. I did it in a way that would fit my needs, but use it as you'd like. Is that kind of where that came from? Yeah. Oh my God. I I completely forgot about that article. Yes. Actually, that was my way of processing my first burnout. It was literally like after the first burnout, before I restarted doing open source. And I think that overall, there's a really huge gap in perception, both from what we call open source consumers, which is like, oh, well, this is free. I can just use it. And the issue section of GitHub is my ticketing support system. And on the other side, from the maintainer's point of view, there's this idea that, well, I've given something to someone, so I'm responsible for the way they use it. 
And like what I was trying to capture in that article in particular was this other aspect of like, no, it's actually just there for anyone to use exactly like as the title provided this is. Yeah. But I, I never made this connection. But yeah, for some reason, I keep going back to this idea of like, try to not be harsh on yourself kind of thing. But yeah, that's true. Right. So I know you wanted to talk about your company and what they do to provide open source because you think it's a pretty sustainable model for how companies can work with open source in general. Would you mind uh, explaining what they do and how? Yeah, absolutely. As you can tell by now, like I'm really passionate about, you know, open source being sustainable. And that was one of the reasons when I joined Formidable, we started investigating more in how we could be like in the first place, like an example of a sustainable open source company. Of course, like our main business model is being a consultancy, but we have quite a few, I don't want to say big, but like medium big open source projects. Uh, you may have heard of like, for example, Arcol, which is an alternative to Rect Apollo. We have Victory, which is another big one, and Spectacle, which is undergoing a rewrite. And basically what I can see from the bigger open source community is that there is this kind of idea that only big companies can sort of like pay for open source or like only big companies can provide a sustainable method to introduce, you know, money to open source. And we have a couple of internal programs that sort of challenge that because we, we're we not a huge company. We We have like five offices four or five offices around uh, between US and UK, but we don't have like more than I think 100 people in total. So we're by no means a big company, but still we have these programs that really reinforce the core idea of shifting this mindset from open sources, free labor to if you do open source, it still work. So it should be recognized as such. In particular, like we have two programs that we run internally. One of them is Sauce. It's called Sauce. It was inspired by uh, another company called Futurist, where in that company was called Spice. And the core idea behind it is that since the people in the company are engineers, are open source involved people, we want to kind of recognize that they are doing this in their free time. So, and it still works. So basically, we can log internally into, you know, we use Arvest, but like in the time management tool that aside from our eight hours of work, we've done, I don't know, two hours of issue triaging on React Native or whatever. And we have a standard rate for these extra hours, which is $20 per hour. And we have a maximum of 30 hours per month. And this idea is to, you know, recognize that it still works. Even if it's not a big amount of money, it's still recognized. When we introduced it earlier this year, like to me, it was incredibly powerful from, you know, from my perspective in open source and like how I felt about doing open source. Because all of a sudden, when you have people that are saying, yes, this is work, this is something valuable, it really helps even like the simple fact that you're like, oh, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why I keep doing this? Why I keep replying to issues if people, you know, then don't follow the issue template anyway. They don't reply. They don't provide me a repro. It's really easy for someone doing open source to feel like a lot of different ways of uh, negative thoughts. And by introducing something as simple as this, we really 
kind of try to change the perception for the person and also like to provide an example of something that is like for us is sustainable because we're a consultancy, we're in the JavaScript space. So there's a lot, you know, of cash flowing around. So it's really, if you want to see a change, you should be that change in the first place. That's awesome. So you said you have 30 hours maximum a week per developer to go towards open source? Yeah. I mean, those are like extra hours that the, the reason why it works for us, I think it's yep. twofold. One because these are people that are doing those, hour, those hours anyway. Like, it's not like, oh, okay, now I'm going to start doing open source for those extra money because the amount is not too big to make you like feel compelled to do it just for the money. And the other side is that we are, exactly because we're people doing it already, like no one has ever maxed out the hours. I don't think <laughs> no one like ever got past the mid, like the 15 hours. Like it's there to recognize our work and the upper limit is just there to remind us this, like remember that you need to take care of yourself. Remember to yeah. take care of your family and do other things that are not open source. But at the same time, you know, you're feeling valued more basically. Any engineer can participate. And I think that uh, we published an article earlier this year on it, and it was something like 52% of our engineers participated in it. And I think that now the number grew. We're not really tracking it too much, to be honest, but we used to add a website. We're like, hey, this is what everyone is doing in those hours. I guess my question is, as a business owner, what do you see the benefits outside of the altruism and the giving back to the community? Let's say you wanted to sell this to another company to integrate this type of idea into their flow. How would you sell that to a business person who's very much more focused on on the profit and making sure that revenue is coming in and all of that? That's a good question, to be honest. I would say I would provide them with two reasons. One uh, if the company is in the technology space, if it's in any way involved with technology, so if you're a startup doing an app or any kind of company that works in the industry of technology, there's a brand value that you get by being a good open source citizen, which is like something that most marketing people really seem to understand. Like They can see the value of open source equals good. And usually that's something that you want your brand to have. And the other aspect of it is that it really helps, first off, keeping people in your company because you can, as a person with this kind of programming, you really feel that your company understands what you want to do. Even if it's not strictly work, they still support you. So it, it should help retain and also like hiring. Surely like a, a company like Formidable by providing these kind of options, these and like the fellowship, it's likely that we can attract more people and people that are really sharing these values with the, with the rest of the employees. That's super cool. Have you, or is Formidable considering maybe doing, extending this program for contributions from others, uh, not necessarily their employees, to projects that you depend on? So for example, if you you want some things to be built or fixed or patched or some, you know, to grow the community around a project that is core to what you're doing. Like if you've think, thought about the idea of doing like bounties or extending this program beyond that, or you're, you, you think that this is kind of strictly for employees, which is great. I'm just wondering if you thought about it. As far as I know, no, we mm -hmm. don't usually have bounties. 
the reason for that is that we tend to, if we have a problem, we we fix it in the first place. Like we are uh, active in open source anyway, so we might just as well, you know, submit that PR. Like we recognize the value of that as source hours. Or like, also because like we have flexible hours, like we're not standard nine to five. So for example, if it's like midway through the morning, you're like, oh, you know what? I need to fix this, but I need to fix it in the project I'm using for work. There right. is no one stopping you from saying, okay, I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to use that hour to work on that open source. And then I'll add that hour of work at the end of the day kind of thing. Right. We're expanding it in kind of a different way. What we're doing is actually through this other project called the fellowship mm-hmm. we are basically enhancing the possibility of us doing open source by a proposal process basically every quarter anyone in the company can submit an idea and of course he needs to pitch and you know explain why this idea is a valuable open source project for the company but if you kind of win the selection for that quarter what you get is up to 6 weeks not working for the client, just working on this project full-time with uh, the full pay. And it's basically the first step that that takes that project into like our our set of projects that we maintain because we have also a structure for how we maintain our own projects, mm-hmm. which is another topic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like we really wanted to have this project in the first place, like the source pro to motivate people and like provide value. But no, we're not looking into bounties or external as far as I know. And have you launched the fellowship program already? Yes, uh, we've already done the second, like we finished the second round of submissions yesterday. Mm-hmm. And basically the only minor thing is that, of course, we need to balance that out with the clients we're working for. So even if you win the fellowship, it's not like, okay, from tomorrow you drop everything and you get your six weeks. So we, as far as I know, the first winner was already supposed to start this December, but he kind of won uh, the application process back in May. So we, we kind of have a bit of a delay. So we're still not in the phase where we have tested the whole flow, but we have completed two cycles of the proposals. And it's interesting because we are still finding a bit things that we need to tweak, like, for example, the fact that this project needs to be brand new or that it's only like one person kind of projects. We tested the having duos working on the projects, but of course, then things become more complicated. So we're still tweaking it a bit. But I think that overall, again, it's another topic where we've tried to come up with a good idea. We're testing it internally. We are talking about it publicly so that other companies could take inspiration because, again, the whole conversation is open source is still work. You should still be able to do it in a sustainable way, even if you're not Google or like a company of one of the big five. So basically. Do you market any of the work that you do for open source? Um, As in, do you put it on your website that we've helped out these projects here, 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 and here? Uh, for the source program, we had a super small like and quirky website just to see what was happening. But no, yeah. like we don't really right now. It's something we explored, but no, at the moment we only like sort of share like the findings through the blog, or we share the actual projects in uh, our formidable labs uh, GitHub organization. Do you tell your clients, your new clients, that hey, by the way, we really contribute back to open source? really keen on building the ecosystem up 
Uh, this is what we spend our time on, as well as providing for you, which makes our developers better developers and therefore passes the cost on to you by having them do things faster. Do you say all that when you talk to new clients? I'm not part of the like the pipeline that talks with client directly, so my answer could be slightly off. But I think we do because since we are hired as consultants, uh, what usually happens is that we are quite direct with the clients in terms of like our people are going to do the best things they can do to provide you with the quality that you need. And if that involves doing a PR to the project that your app is using, that will, you know, kind of fit the bill or like it will still count as billable hours as far as I know. Of course, you know, there are gray lines and it depends on the client, but usually uh, we can be quite selective with the clients we work with. And we kind of try always to find people that resonate with our values. That's awesome. I really like it. I love the idea of having work hours going towards open source. I think that's awesome. I think we should all move towards that, especially for medium-sized projects. Medium-sized projects have, have this huge benefit that they don't have massive bureaucracies and they have a little bit of runway. Small projects are where it's really hard to contribute back because you're strapped for time and you're strapped for cash. And large projects are almost impossible. Because it becomes a political thing. You know, can I do this? Well, I have to talk to my manager. He needs to talk to his manager. He has to talk to his manager. He has to talk to his manager. He has to talk to Bezos. That's like, whoa, too much going on. And so I love that that's, that you're doing this at your company. The reason I'm asking these pointed questions, and I'm sorry if they seem a bit that way, is because I'm curious, how do we get other people doing this? And how do we pitch up, right? How do we make other companies start having their own sauce programs and their own fellowships? Uh, it seems like you guys are doing it just out of pure altruism and just being, hey, this is how the world should be, so we're doing it. But that's not the most marketable message. So I'm trying to like take it one step further. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sort of goes back to the question that Eric asked. But, well, first off, we're doing it in particular, the source program. Yes, because we really feel strongly about the fact that it should be done. But of course, we recognize that being active in the open source space for the kind of company we are is really valuable in terms of you know branding. And of course, hiring. So those two sides is basically, to be honest, if you boil it down, we do it for the same reasons Facebook does it. Like Facebook has no, like Google, you could argue, oh, well, they have the Google Cloud. So they are kind of trying to get you to use that or they have Firebase. So they're trying to get you to use it. Like we and Facebook kind of share this idea of like, we're doing it, but we don't have like a product to sell at the end of that. Aside from that, I really feel that it boils down to knowing that these things exist and they, they are succeeding. When we first announced it back in May, the source in particular, we got multiple, like more than 10 companies reaching back to us and be like, hey, how can we do it ourselves? So it really feels like we're not the only one having this kind of desire, but we have found a way that works for us. And since we are you know, more uh, realistically similar to other companies, I think that most of the marketing aspect of having this kind of project and how can you sell it to your boss kind of scenario is knowing that it exists and it's working uh, and it's sustainable for a medium to small size company like Formidable. That's an interesting point you bring up. Like who is behind Formidable? Like usually smaller companies don't give this type of support to the community. Bocoop is like the only company that really comes to mind, but 
obviously it has to come from the top down you know if so who who are these who are these people explain what their background is so our funders are the three rays as we call them we have ryan ryan and ryan three ryans <laughs> sorry but yeah ryan ryan and ryan and they are engineers so they've kind of built this company already with the idea of like it's going to be you know a tech savvy company and then over time we've expanded i think that now we have like seven vps in total or something and in particular the source program came from the formidable london office which is the office i joined and from yanni vacaglio which some of you may know is he used to work at futuris where there's this similar program called spice and and that's how like he got the first the idea in the first place and he felt strongly about it so he wanted to replicate it currently the role of director of open source in the company is used by Lauren Eastridge no used is not the right word but you know what i mean and we have a person in, sir, internally which is one of the vps and the whole concept of the role is to you know manage and handle open source internally so all these ideas are all approved and well defined internally by uh, this person, which like is literally the role of director of open source. That's awesome. There are a few other companies, Justin. Um, one of them is YLD, which is also half based in London, half based in Lisbon. Another one is And Yet, based out in Portland. Oh um, yeah, I know them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those are all JavaScript companies, which have at some point or other either funded someone on like a TC body, or had full time open source people on staff. Um, we're starting to see a lot more in the past three years, open source program managers, people with that title itself. Yahoo has one. Verizon has the same people. Uh, PayPal has one. Microsoft, Facebook have them. GitHub has one. Obviously, GitHub has one. That's their entire business model. But it's interesting to see it happening at, at smaller companies. Um, how many people total do you think are at Formidable? Uh, I can't remember off of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's less than 100 people or less than, 100. Uh, less than yeah. 200, just to make sure. But yeah, yeah. Like, in particular, I feel that in the JavaScript space, it's kind of slightly easier to have this kind of role, probably because JavaScript is such a web heavy language. It's, such a, it's so easy to, you know, NPM install another library. So you kind of are halfway there already because you're already consuming, you know, it's way easier than... Uh, if you use C++, you, you don't tend to you know, have a, a package manager. I think that now maybe they have NuGet or something. I am not sure. But in the JavaScript space, in the React Native space in particular, there are a few companies that are like similar in size, if not smaller, like Software Mansion, Colstack, and Infinite Red, which are all small companies that have a lot of impact in open source. And they do open source uh, full-time. Like I know people in all these companies that do open source full-time. And the reason why they can do that is because they really feel strongly about the project they're collaborating about, which is React Native, which I guess it's like one of these other reasons, going back to your question, is like you can easily market it when you can sort of pinpoint a main product that you're using. Like, oh, well, we do mobile apps in React Native and React Native is open source. We should do open source to ensure our own sustainability and survivability in the long term. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah, we're probably going to see more more than JavaScript companies doing this in the future with, with WASM really kicking off. We're going to see C++ people as well. And certainly Rust 
it's getting to the point where it's a stable enough community that we're starting seeing Rust outfits popping up, which is just super fascinating. One of the things I'm I'm interested, or I, I, something came up to me as you were talking was what sort of person you would hire for the open source role, right? You would want someone who's able to be really good at interfacing with the community and a good coder at the same time, and hopefully who would be interested in going to workshops and conferences, because otherwise word only gets out in that small GitHub repo, right? It's an interesting role to fill. What I like at your company is that it's not just one role. It's everyone at the company can, can do this. Everyone can spend you know two hours of their day. And it's not just Open Source Fridays, which is great. Open Source Fridays is awesome. And it's been going on with a lot of companies for years. But the whole idea of just, no, you just work on Open Source, great, do this. I was wondering about the kind of contributions from your larger community to your projects, right? Do you Is that something that you focus on or how do you you know, garden that community because it's not only about like the formidable team giving contributions or making contributions to open source projects they like or use, but also helping others contribute to your own projects. So do you have any kind of anything about, about that or how do you manage that or like a, like an on-ramp? So for that topic, basically we have for the main projects that we maintain, that we provide. So like we have around 300 repositories in our org, but we maintain as active, I think around 10. And we have a clear like taxonomy of projects. And for those active ones, basically there's a person which is like called the core contributor from Formidable. And that this person gets like eight hours per month to dedicate, like they don't do client work in those eight hours. They log those hours as standard hours. Uh, but they dedicate those to, you know, uh, replying to issues, PRs, and overall, like, uh, grow their community for that project. We have a set of guidelines that all the core contributors follow. Uh, we try to provide them with all the help that they need. And when it comes to external contributors, usually what happens is that we, well, first off, we really appreciate all that they're doing, and we try to make them feel part of the project because like that's one of the things like if a person opens two PRs, it's likely that this person knows the code base almost as much as you or something. And so we try to grow the relationship there. We invite them to at least, for example, in terms of authorizations for the project, we sort of usually invite people to have, you know, the right access after a few PRs. And also because like when a project is not active, it's either in the stable class, we call them, uh, in the stable class, which means that we will you know, help if needed, but we will not likely work actively on those or we archive them. So sometimes on the archived ones, we may consider the option of giving to the most active contributors. Also, one of the things that we do is to use that as a pipeline for hiring in a way. So like I remember, I think one of the people that joined our team recently was super active in Arco and is still doing a lot of great work there. But surely uh, we try to use that also in, in a way to find potential candidates. We don't have a reward scheme for now, but I know we were talking about finding some ways to reward, not just like with comments like we uh, at least some swag like we were that was one of the thing we, we start to talk about i think that gatsby was one of the first project that started you know what was it like it was sending socks i think and now they have a merch store and everything so we were kind of trying to get inspirations from them 
to do something similar. It's really cool. Actually, Open Collective, when we started our bounty program and we started thinking about how to, you know, the kind of things we can do with our contributors and how to acknowledge their work and all of that jazz, like we took inspiration from Gatsby as well. It's a really cool. So um, I'm curious about, you mentioned something about guidelines just now for, so is that internal guidelines for engineers at Formidable to contribute or is that something that it's also open? So we have both like, you know, the code of conduct, which yeah. that's in all the repos. And also we have an internal notion set of pages, which are like, this is how you should behave when you do open source and those kind of things. As far as I know, no, it's not open, but basically boils down to don't be a jerk. So yeah. it kind of goes back to the code of conduct. It's an extension of that. Cool. And it looks like the code of conduct is the standard covenant contributor code of conduct. But checking over your repos, it's awesome how many repos you guys have. And I also like the GitHub description. We design and develop web apps, train engineers at startups and Fortune 500 companies and improve the modern web with open source software. That pretty much summarizes what you've been saying. Which is great because that, I mean, that, that was kind of what I was saying, like, do you market this stuff or is it just say, yeah, go work on an open source project. It doesn't matter which one it is. It's more like, no, we have open source stuff in-house and we also fix stuff that we need and we're doing everything we can to build the entire ecosystem out such that we can all stand on top of it and look at the stars, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. Again, I have a really bad habit of just waxing poetic and then asking no questions. So I'm sorry. I, it's great. It's I, great for your positive feedback anyway. Sorry, Eric. No, no, no. You know, I was reading over a lot of the the documentation beforehand, and uh, one of the things that I saw on the fellowship, or maybe it was under the sauce program description, but there's something that you wrote, and I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, we need to acknowledge that most of the meaningful progress in open source communities happen outside of office hours. And if we truly value the open source ecosystem and believe that it will work, that the work we do has a positive impact, we need to recognize and reward people for this work. I really love that you point out that the meaningful work is done outside of work hours. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think that that quote comes from the source article that Yanni wrote. And overall, it really, you know, synthesized the whole concept of it. Uh, because there are a lot of open source projects, famous ones like, for example, OpenSSL, Curl. So many of these projects are like side projects for the person. They are not their main job. And this is kind of the culture of open source lately. You know, like there's a whole part of doing open source currently, which is, you know, you do it as a side project. You do it as a way of marketing yourself. And that kind of exploded with GitHub, but also created this whole perception that open source, even if it's important, is not sustainable. And we kind of want to shift that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories over the past 20 years about open source projects that are like massive and everyone uses them. And then you find out that it was like one guy doing it at 3 a.m. in the morning just because he liked it. And while this is great, and we need to recognize that that's how some people like to do open source, because some people just don't want to get paid. They just want to do what they want when they want. Uh, we should also try to avoid everyone mimicking that example, because sometimes it can lead you know, to burnout and, or other kind of issues. It would be interesting to take uh, the data that we already have, which is commits and pull requests, and actually graph out the local time of day 
for these maintainers and contributors to really kind of get proof behind this statement. I do believe that the majority of the progress is done outside. I run CodeFund and, and, and I talk to a lot of people who are wanting to get funding for their projects, but I also face a lot of people saying that you're wasting time. This shouldn't be funded. This should be funded through the companies and companies pay for open source. And that's just how it is. And uh, I think that it is important to acknowledge that companies pay those developers to work on things that make the company money during the workday, during the work hours. Yeah, they don't really care about the dependencies under the dependencies. It's just what's what? Oh, Kubernetes. It's just like, yeah, we'll join the Kubernetes uh, Linux Foundation. And uh, yeah, we uh, support open source. So it's, yeah. I think you could probably extend the whole idea of office hours to the whole idea of laboring for someone else versus laboring for yourself, right? A lot of the meaningful work in open source happens when you're laboring for yourself, when you're interested in the project and you have a bug and you decide to put in time to actually open an issue or open a PR or talk to the maintainer. Whereas most office hour work, as we traditionally call it today, like the nine to five, right, is when you're producing for someone else. It's basically wage labor. This is a really old idea. And again, I'm totally erring on the fact of like Chomsky, which is, you know, I'm that guy on this podcast. But basically the good stuff in open source happens when you're not doing stuff for wage labor, but you're doing stuff for your own inherent need. And that's actually the good stuff of humanity in general, which I think is it's awesome that you guys have that in your thing. Not saying that you quote Chomsky and Marx in your thing, but you know, it's basically the same. I really like that. This has been an awesome conversation. Where can we find out more about Formidable? Well, we have a website, formidable.com, and you can find uh, probably in the show notes all the links to the blog posts we mentioned. We're also, of course, on Twitter and everywhere else if you want to reach out to me directly. My DMs are open on Twitter, which is not super common, but uh, it's at Calset, just like GitHub, and you can find more information also on our GitHub. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to really slip in at the end? Um, no, nothing no. in particular. Okay. It was great. It was great <laughs> talking with you all. I really appreciate you guys doing this work because a lot of open source is about talking about the problems and trying to figure out ways. So keep up the great work. Thank you. We're not quite done yet. This is the part where we actually also push it forward. Under DevChat TV, we used to have a thing called Picks where we choose two or three things which we had read or seen throughout the week and talk about them. Now that we move to Sustain and just Sustain, I think that we're going to do something different called Spotlight. Eric, this was your idea. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, you know, I think that the reason that we're all here is to continue to grow and sustain open source. But part of the biggest problem that I've found is that people are not aware of these small projects that might be really important to the individuals. So, for example, I was looking through we're a Rails project and I was looking through my gem file and I'm like amazed on how many of these projects are being maintained by one or two people out there. They are uh, but they're a core part of our application, which generates money for us. So the idea is that I would like to draw attention to these projects that we use, kind of the unsung heroes of open source. Yeah, I think we should draw attention to them. That is awesome. So what we're going to do from now on is basically link one or two projects, which we've used. Uh, Eric, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So I'm going to link one project today, and it's something that I've been using for years. And we use it right now with CodeFund for a multivariate ads. So our advertisers want to run multiple ads on a single campaign, but they want those ads to compete with each other. 
Well, we've kind of hijacked a library originally written by Andrew Nesbitt. Uh, you might know Andrew because he was one of the co-founders of, help me out here. <laughs> Libraries.io. Thank you. Libraries.io. Octobox. Octobox. He's a co-founder of Octobox. Yes. Okay. 24 pull requests. <laughs> the guy's amazing, right? So we wrote a library called Split RB. It's a, a way for you to utilize Reddit on the back end and do A-B testing or multivariate testing on anything. So the typical use for that would be to say, we're going to have a website in Ruby and we're going to have three different call to actions and it'll swap them out and give you statistics on which ones are more effective. Well, we're now using, we're, we hijacked that library and we're now using it to actually run our multivariate solution on code funds. So I just want to thank Andrew and all the contributors on that project for working on that. Yeah. So that's mine. Thank you so much, Eric. Justin, you got anything? Yes. XMake. It's a cross-platform build utility based on Lua. The maintainer's name is uh, Rookie. He's from China and he's just like the nicest dude I've met in a while, you know, and uh, very passionate about his projects. And yeah, I just... Shout out to Rookie and his contributors because he's definitely doing really great work for the Lua community. Awesome. Love new communities that aren't JavaScript. Sometimes I feel like I live in a bubble. <laughs> Pia, what do you got? So I have open source diversity, which is a community of folks that are working on diversity and inclusion in free and open source communities. And they have this website that is pretty cool. You have like they pull together a lot of resources on this from like projects that are supporting underrepresented groups to projects that are like mentorships or fellowships that are working on that spaces, the open source kind of the covenant, uh, your first pull request that helps you make your first pull request or a list of projects that have up for grabs issues. So it's a really cool community. They do meetups. You can also join their forum and yeah, big shout out is their work is very important. Open source diversity. Thank you. I'm going to mention the Contributor Covenant and specifically a project. Uh, it's a small module. I co-maintain it with my buddy Simon Vincentian, who started it. Simon V3 slash Covenant dash generator. If you need the Contributor Covenant in your project and you don't want to have to go all the way to the website, We'll just generate it for you and plop it in your project. I use this almost every day. Formidable uh, uses the Contributor Covenant, so you should use it too. It's the best. Lorenzo, what do you got? I'm going to close this spotlight uh, with small React Native related <laughs> project. As you may guess, that's kind of my thing. It's a project in the React Native community called Upgrade Helper. It's actually not a React Native app. It's not a React Native library. It's a web app that people use to basically see the changes between releases because React Native is known for having a lot of breaking changes between releases. And we really, really needed a tool like this to you know, help visualize all the changes that you need to apply in your code. And this is a project all like completely maintained by two awesome people from the community, which are Lucas and Pavlos. And they are creating their small community for that project in particular, which is super you know, beginner-friendly. So if you're in the React Native space, but you want to try you know, some React, that's a repo you should look for. Thank you so much, Lorenzo. It was great having you on the podcast. Everyone follow him at, at Kelset on Twitter. That's K-E-L-S-E-T. See him around the web. If you're in London, go to Provided As Is. It sounds like a really great meetup. And see you all next time. Thank you so much. 